everybody. This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to Generation Next, where for the next like four weeks today and then the rest of this month, you're going to learn about all the generations around you. And here's what it's going to do for you. This is why it's so good for you. If you're a parent, it's going to help you connect with your kids. If you're a kid, if you're a teenager, it's going to help you connect and communicate way better with like your parents and your grandparents. If you're at work, if you've got people who are direct reports to you who are a generation or two beneath you or ahead of you, you're going to learn how to really communicate way more effectively with them. Or if you're just walking through life and you're like, why don't these other generations understand the way the world works? This is going to help you understand why they don't understand the way the world works according to you. All right, so Generation Next, we're going to be studying all the generations around us. But the most important reason why we're doing this series is designed to help you tell every generation about Jesus. And here's, here's why that's important. Because every generation needs Jesus. You are no longer living in a country or a culture where the generation that came before you follows Jesus. It's not as simple as, hey, what everyone else believes and taking it and handing it down to the next generation because the generations even above you no longer hold to traditional Christian values. And if you're going to take Jesus' command seriously, like the commands that we talked about all last month together where Jesus said, go make disciples. And, and by the way, here's why I think you need to take that seriously if you are a follower of Jesus because it was spoken and recorded for us in what's called the imperative that means it's a command. And here's what it means practically. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to say, God, do you want to go make disciples? Yes, I told you. Go, move, get going, get moving, make disciples. You don't have to think about it. Like, I wonder if God wants me to make disciples. Yes, it's an imperative, which means it is a direct command to you from God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you go make disciples. So if you want to take that seriously, which you should as a follower of Jesus, and if you want to like, be his witness to the ends of the earth like he told you to, that means taking the message of Jesus to everyone, everywhere, every day, which means every generation. Now, the challenge right now is we are living in the largest generational communication gap that we have ever seen. Generations do not know how to communicate and connect and talk with each other. Generations don't understand each other. Like, if you don't understand who each generation is, then you will never be able to connect them to Jesus. If you don't understand how they think, why they think, what they do, why they do, how they communicate, what they communicate, you'll never be able to communicate Jesus to them. So friends, this message series is designed to help you understand every generation so you can reach every generation for Jesus. So every generation, and you know this already, but every generation is defined by its values, and its trends, and its influence, but also by its fashion. So do y'all mind going down a little trip uh, on memory lane with me? Great. Five of us are going to go. Y'all can just, the rest of you join in if you want, okay? So listen, back in 1947, just after like, you know, the, the Great Depression, World War II, when materials were very, very scarce, Christian Dior, the great you know, designer in fashion world, came out what was called the, the new look. And this took uh, our country by storm. It was, a, it was a, not just a new style, but it was a whole new attitude saying, hey, we now have supply and demand. We have resources. We can make clothes again 
after all that this country had been through. And so this became the look. And then in the 1960s, London designer Mary Quant came up with a brand new look, which took the world by storm. Her raised hemlines turned heads, right? Because they're way above the knee. Uh, she followed it up with hot pants and miniskirts. Those are all from Mary Quant. Uh, it was just like the youthquake of, of fashion following Beatlemania. And in the 1960s, men, we were just kind of bland. Men's fashions in the 60s, flip, flip, next one, yeah, they were just like, blah, you know, there they are. But it was going to get better because when the 1970s came, well, yeah, 1970s came, bell bottoms came in, right? Look at those groovy pants. And men, we did the same thing. Show the men, they're looking so groovy. Some of you who are laughing are like, I think I wore that. Yeah. Now that is straight, 100% polyester, so you know it's got to be good. By the way, see the guy in the, the blue shirt in the background? Look at his ascot. That looks good. I think that may be Fred from Scooby-Doo. Not real sure. But how many of y'all remember wearing bell-bottoms back in the day? Some of y'all? Like, y'all are just too ashamed to admit it. Y'all wore bell-bottoms if you're my age, right? My sisters here, Sherry and Pat. Sherry, you remember wearing bell-bottoms, Right? Yes, and then we were cool kids, right? So what we did with our bell bottoms, we, we cut slits in them and sewed material in there to make it bigger. So when you walked, you had to like go with the sway, you know, because like, well, your bell bottoms were moving. Great for fashion, terrible for bike riding. So what did you always carry with you? A rubber band, right? So that, you, yes, right? Because you, you, you had to bind that, that big bell bottom and the right leg up so they get caught in your chain, so, right? So that was the 1970s. Um, the 1980s came along, brought big hair, bright clothes, flash dance, made leg warmers a necessary in every girl's wardrobe. And what about, do you remember um, pads? Some of you all ladies, you, you play for the Steelers. I mean, they were, you were pronounced with your shoulder pads. Um, that was the, the 1980s uh, for women, for men. At least we had the mullet and the fanny pack. Right? We were ready for anything, guys, in the 80s. By the early 2000s, the style for ladies got like less material, more midriff. Uh, think Britney Spears, think Kim Possible. That was kind of the style for ladies. For guys, um, we got really casual, like in sync. They, kind of, they were the standard of fashion in the early um, 2000s for men. Then we hit the 2010s. They were marked by skinny jeans, athleisure wear, logos on everything, uh, tights everywhere you look, and dad sneakers. That was kind of the, the way to go uh, in 2010 for men and for women. Then we hit the 2020s, like where we're living today, and, and in, the two, in the 2020s, skinny jeans are out. I'm sorry, millennials, but skinny jeans are out, and thrifting is in. That's a, the biggest fad. Someone said, yes, thrifting. If you're, if you're a Gen Z, thrifting is the way you shop today. Um, and for 2020 men, hey, everything from business casual to flannel, you got it all. So you can't, it's hard to be out of style if you're a guy right now. Um, so it makes it kind of easy, but it, that's, that's like the trip down memory lane for fashion, right? And all of our different generations have been, de been defined by, by our clothing style, by our hairstyles that that's been a big part of, of who we are, but it really is more than that. Thankfully, right? It's more than that. Fashion is not the only thing that describes, defines, and, and actually divides generations. Things like music, political views, morality, environmental and humanitarian issues are all big issues uh, weighed differently in our generations. 
uh, source of authority is a huge dividing point between generations. Like, who, who's the authority? You, you can look at things like uh, professor or pastor, parent or peer, uh, gospel or Google. Those are, like, what holds authority over a generation has changed over time. And when one generation's trends and views become the majority or the norm, there is what's called a transfer of generational power. And right now, um, you're seeing that between millennials and Gen Z. There's, there's, a, there's a battle going on in our culture in America today because millennials, I'm sorry, y'all are kind of moving out and Gen Zs are moving in. And anytime a generation has to relinquish that power, they feel that loss. And honestly, you just start feeling old. It's just what happens. Um, and, and so right now, you know, I, I know there's a lot deeper issues, but right now some of the, the funny issues on the war battle zone between millennials and Gen Z are skinny jeans, because millennials like skinny jeans are the way to go, and millennials like get them out of here, um, and also the part, right? Millennials part on the side, Gen Z's part down the middle. It's just a huge issue right now among these two you're laughing, but it's for real. These are battle zones. But hey, there are seven living generations today. Think about that. Right now, walking the face of our earth, right now, boots on ground in the United States, there are seven generations. Here they are. The greatest generation, if you were born 1901 to 1927, raise your hand. Now, if that was me, I would be proud. I'm just saying, okay? That is the greatest generation, right? Then the silent generation, born 28 to 45, how many silent generations do we have? We got some? Uh, baby boomers, 46 to 64. How many baby boomers are here? Baby boomers, right? Some of you are like, eh, I'm a baby boomer. Uh, Gen X, 65 to 80. Woo, let's hear for Gen X, my generation. I won't tell you how far into uh, that I was, but I'm, I'm claiming Gen X. Uh, millennials, how many millennials are here? You're born 1981 to 1995. Millennials, yeah. Uh, generation Z, you're 96 to 210. How many, how many Gen Z are here? Yeah, I've got some Gen Zs. And Generation Alpha is the newest name for the newest generation. They're born 2011 up to 2025. I want you to notice something about those generations. Generations used to be separated by about a 25-year period. So you would have a generation, parents, and then they would have kids, and they would be the next generation. And then those kids would have their own kids, and they would be the next generation. Then those kids would have kids, they'd be the next generation. That was generally, on average, about 25 years per generation. But what do you notice about the last few years of last number of generations on screen. Yeah, it's tighter, right? Those are narrower. Those years are getting fewer. Right now, the average is about 14 years. And here's what that means. These generations are getting closer and closer together. If you're a parent, then you, and you're raising more than one child, you may be raising more than one generation. And, that, and that's very significant. And there's some practical stuff in this. You can't, you can't talk to them the same, the two different generations in your house of your kids. You can't discipline the same. There is a subculture in every single generation, and you have to understand how to communicate to every single one of these subcultures, or you will never be anything but white noise to them. And you certainly cannot, you certainly cannot discipline your kids like you were disciplined, because that was like so many generations ago, right? And it doesn't work. Like, there are things, and Sherry, you can attest to this, there are things that my kids get away with today. If I'd done that, I would, I would not be saying, I would have been, you know, gone a long time ago. Like, I brought you into this world, Rich, I can take you out of this world, right? And, and so, you, but we, we don't always get that because we don't understand the generations below us, how they connect and how they communicate. And we don't value them. 
So we just push our generational values on them and, and connection on them, and it just doesn't work. Some of you are living in that tension. We'll get into that as, as we move through this message and even through um, uh, the next couple of weeks. But we, we have to, we have to be, learn how to communicate with every single generation because they don't communicate the same way. Each generation has, has, a, has a subculture. And if we're going to create here, listen, we've been saying this for a number of weeks, we're going to create here a culture of rescue rather than a climate of comfort, right? That's one of the things that's going to mark Grace Collective Church. If we're going to create a culture of rescue, then we need to understand the cultures and subcultures of the generations around us. Here's why this gets really practical for us. We've been talking for the last four weeks about reaching our ones. And if you're new with us this morning, uh, here or online, we, we've been walking through the scriptures and saying, there are ones out there. Um, well, the 99 gather here, the one that, that walked away, or the one that never knew Jesus, those ones are so important. They're more, they're more celebrated by Jesus, the people who don't know him, than the people gathering inside here that do. Not, not more loved, just more urgent. And so we've committed as a church body to go after the ones that you know someone who needs to know Jesus. And the first weekend, we had you write down on the cards, 54 people said, I'm going after a one. I know who my one is. I'm going to commit the next three, six, nine, 12 months to winning my one to Jesus. 54 of you. We added 30 more last Sunday. Woo! That should give you some God bumps, right? And there's more still coming. I trust, I trust more and more coming in. We are going to win this community and our friends, our family, our neighbors to Jesus. But listen, if you don't know the generation of your one, you will never communicate Jesus to your one. You may think you're communicating because you're communicating in your style, but you're just white noise into your one's ears. So you've got to understand who the generations are, what makes them tick, what makes them, uh, how do they view God, how do they view church, how do they view and do life, what makes this generation unique and special. When you can crack the code on each generation, then you begin to tell them about Jesus. For example, uh, it seems like millennials and Gen Z, this is just an observation, I don't have any like, proof to back this up, right? I think it's right. It's not that the generations of, of millennials and Gen Z, not they don't believe in God. He just isn't relevant in their lives. All right? Like, they're the most technologically advanced generations of the world. And with so much, so much technology, they don't need God. Right? And so, yeah, God is real, but so what? And if you don't understand that, and you just stand in front of them and say, hey, by the way, this is who God is. And you've got to understand this. You've got to do this. This is who God wants you to be. That doesn't work on generations of millennial and Gen Z. You've got to understand where they are, how they think. You've got to get through to them. So some of you experience this tension uh, like in your home. How many of you are parents? Okay, don't be ashamed. It's all right. You're, you're, you're safe here. But as parents, like maybe you are a parent who is absolutely passionate for Jesus, right? You, you're, you've got a passion. You love Jesus, and, and you want your kids to love Jesus. You're passionate, but your kids, eh, not so much. Right? Can you relate to that? Right? Here's why. Because your passion is their obligation. See, when you come to church, you love Jesus, and you want to just make sure they get Jesus, so you're putting Jesus onto their generation, like you got Jesus in your generation, they're like, it doesn't work for me. And so here's what happened with millennials. I know millennials are kind of, at the, kind of getting to the end of this stage of life now, but 75% of millennials 
they give up their faith by the time they graduate college. 75% of them. Because it was obligatory and never real for them. Because the church didn't take their generation seriously and learn how to connect and communicate with them. We thought, hey, we got it right. The way, the way it worked for me will work for them. And we cannot do that. We've got to begin to value Listen to and value every single generation with the culture and the communication styles that they bring with them. So listen, this is not about changing the message. I don't want you to hear this in any other way. But this is not about changing the message. It's about changing the method. All right? One church I know says it like this way. They, they say, marry the mission, date the model. Marry the mission, date the model. Some of you guys are like, dating a model? I'm all into that. That's okay. No, here's, here's what that means. The mission of Jesus never changes. The message of Jesus never changes. Who Jesus is, the way how Jesus was born, lived, died, was resurrected, what he did, what he taught, what he told us to go do, to go make disciples. The mission and the message of Jesus never changes. You stand squarely on the gospel truth of Jesus. But the method of communicating must change. We've been like delivering to them a message in, in a box they don't understand. And so we've got to learn how to um, deliver the message of Jesus in a way that makes sense to them. I remember, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'm off script for a second team. So I remember walking with, with, um, at North Point Church down in Atlanta with Andy Stanley. And we're walking through, he's, he's showing us around his place. And he said, do you want to see what worship is going to look like in our adult worship service? I said, yeah, I'd love to see that. And he, talked, he walked us into a room about two or three times bigger than this. It was flooded, just full of middle school kids, just jumping and singing and authentically praising Jesus. And up on stage was this passionate group of, of high school students just leading worship and speaking and leading the middle schoolers. And, and Andy, like, just so loud and we couldn't hear him. He's, he, cups his, he cups his hands to his mouth and he, he yells to, to us. He said, what you see in here, right here today, is what we're going to be doing out in our big worship place in five years. Because they got it. They, they understood that generation has a way of understanding, experiencing, and expressing Jesus. And if we continue to miss that, we'll be continue to be listed among the churches that just keep dying, 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 because they're not handing down or continuing the faith. Listen, anytime you cross generational boundaries with the good news of Jesus... You become a missionary, and you have to understand who you're talking to so you can communicate effectively with them, all right? So let's get into God's Word today, because I want to show you a guy who really, really got this, who really understood this. His name was Paul. Now, some of you know who Paul was. Some of you may not know who Paul was. Paul was one of the first, and I believe, greatest missionaries that the world has ever known. Paul was like, he, he was the man for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew how to communicate. He knew how to get in touch with his audience. He knew how to understand who he was talking to and, and their subculture and how to reach them. He, he wrote in one of his letters, he said, you know, when, when I was out witnessing about Jesus, going on my missionary journeys, he said, when I was encountering the Jews, I became like a Jew to reach the Jews. I became like a man under the law to reach the people under the law. I became like a man without the law to reach people who were not with the law. When I encountered the weak, I became like a man who was weak. He, in fact, this is what he said. Look, look, listen to this. He said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, 
Paul made it a point to understand every subculture around him to communicate and win them to Jesus. He didn't start by demanding that they get to where he was. He went into their culture to understand where they were. And he didn't just keep it to himself. He shared this with others, and specifically a young man named Timothy. You ever hear the name Timothy in Scripture? I hope so. There are two books with his name on it, First and Second Timothy. These are letters that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy. So the first time that Paul met Timothy, you know, Timothy was young, and, but he saw that, hey, God's working in this kid. God's, God's doing something in this, in this young man. And he, he really um, took a notice of Timothy that, Timothy that way. Then Paul left and came back around. The next time he met Timothy, he's like, you know, Timothy, you know what? Your faith is real. It's genuine. I'm going to take you on a missionary adventure like you've never heard of before. And Paul took Timothy on one of his major missionary journeys where he just poured into Timothy uh, and, and discipled Timothy and mentored Timothy. And you know what, you know what Paul was doing? He was champion, championing. That's a tough word. He, he championed Timothy. How about that? He valued Timothy. He didn't say, Timothy, you get into my generation and do things the way I do them. He didn't do that. He said, I see in you such value in your generation. I want, to, I want you to travel with me. And if you read about how that relationship worked out, they were such a value to each other. This generation and this generation blessed each other in the witnessing to generations all around them. So much so that, that Paul put Timothy in charge of one of Paul's most favorite and effective largest churches. So Paul started a church in the, in the area of Ephesus. And Ephesus, I don't know if you know this, but Ephesus was like, it was like New York City in Asia Minor back then. I mean, it was a place to be. It was the second largest city in, Rome, in, in the Roman Empire, which makes it one of the largest cities in the world. It was a, mash, uh, a major trade route place. I mean, people from all over gathered in Ephesus. It was a major, major player in education. They had one of the world's most prolific libraries still standing to this day. They have an outdoor amphitheater that seats 25 to 50,000 people. I've stood in it. I've, I've preached in it. It's an amazing place. But this was, this was Ephesus. It was a major player. They also had a legion of Roman gods and goddesses. So taking in the name of Jesus into such a Roman area was hard, but Paul did it. He spent time there. He, he started a church, began to grow. And here's why that was such an important church. Everybody understood that, that in, in Ephesus, all these roads came to Ephesus, but all the roads led back out of Ephesus to every major city in the Roman Empire. So once the word of Jesus got established... It had access to get into all these other cities. Like, here, here's our home base church, and here are our satellites going out. This is a major player in, in Christianity. And, in fact, there's a book in your Bible, in the New Testament, the second half of your Bible, called Ephesians, right? Written to the people of Ephesus, right. So, so here's, here's this, the church Ephesus. Paul plants it. Paul gets it going. Then Paul leaves. And guess what happened? This church started to get some heresy some false teachers kind of rose up and began teaching things that weren't accurate to, you know, for God's truth. And Paul hears about it, and Paul says, Timothy, you're my man. I'm going to send you to Ephesus. You are in charge of this major church now in Ephesus. Paul believed so much in this younger generation, in this young man named Timothy, that he put him in charge of the church in 
in Ephesus. And when, when, when Timothy went there, Paul wrote him letters. Those are the letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And in the, the first letter, Paul's like, hey, Timothy, now that you're there, remember, here are the truths. Here's what we preach. Here's what we teach. Here's what, we, here, here's what God showed us to be right and true. And Paul lists some of those things out for Timothy. And then he writes these words. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4. Follow along on screen. Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are what? Yes, we're not sure how young Timothy was, but for sure there are a generation or generations still ahead of him and generations behind him. Generations that would not take him seriously because he was young. But again, do you see what Paul just did? He championed this young Timothy. He valued Timothy in his own generation. This is so critical for us as older generations to learn if we want to have any hope of connecting the younger generations to Jesus. We'll get into that in a minute. Let's keep reading. Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Like, Timothy, you, as young as you are, you set an example for all the believers. Believers who are new, believers who are seasoned, Young believers, older believers, all the believers around you, all the generations around you, you set the example for them. How? In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The way you live your life, Timothy, the way you do it in your generation, you set the example for all the generations around you. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching and to teaching. He's saying, Timothy, you need to reach every generation around you. Even though you are young, you impact them all, older, younger, and parallel to you. Teach them all. He just championed Timothy's generation. So often when we talk about reaching the next generation of Jesus' followers, what do we do? We go straight to the generation behind us, right? We, we read passages like these. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he is old, he would not depart from it. Okay, let me stop there for a second. I'm off script. Nothing new, right? So, how many of y'all read that through the lens of being a parent? Come on, y'all know that. You put your parent lens on that every single time you read it or hear it. Guess what word is not in there? Parent. There, this is not written to parents alone. This is written to every single follower of Jesus, whether you're a parent or not. We just always bring our perspective into Scripture. I just wanted to point that out for a moment. This is not just about parents. This is about every single follower of Jesus. Here's another one oftentimes you'll read. Uh, God said, impress my commands on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Here's another one. God decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, but they in turn, that they in turn would tell their children. So yeah, there's this great biblical truth that we're supposed to take um, the faith that we know and hand it down to the generation coming behind us. That is biblical. We have to do that. But I want you to notice something about all those passages we just read. Where do they all come from? Old Testament, right? Now, nothing wrong with that. We, we hold the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament together. We, we're a whole Bible church. We believe that it's true and right for our lives. 
But I want you to understand the context that those statements were given in. They were given to the Jews, right? And the Jews, every generation of Jews, even if they were a generation not following God's laws, they knew God's laws. They preserved their Jewishness generation after generation after generation. And so in that context, this made a lot of sense. All you have to do is, hey, you know your Jewishness. You know what God has done for you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of generations. You know what he's given you. Take that, hand it down, take that, hand it down, take that, hand it down, generation to generation to generation. Like, we knew Sherry, right? I'm sorry, this is like the third time I've said your name. I use, I use your sermons all the time. They have to know who you are, right? You're good fodder from when we were kids. But we, we, were, we were at First Church Butler every time the doors were open. We would walk in, and our mom and dad, man, they taught the, they taught the young adult Sunday school class, and those, those, like, they were like the super cool people in church, and we got to hang out with them. We were pretty cool, but we saw that generationally, and we got it from our mom and dad who got it from their mom and dad. Uh, but I think that's not always common today. That's not always the way it works today. We're not, a, we're not a culture or a country where the generation ahead of us gets it or has it. Gets it. When you get into the New Testament, when you see Jesus preaching and teaching, when you see Paul on his missionary journeys, when you see the church reaching people around them, they're not just reaching back to kids. They're reaching every generation around them. They're reaching generations before them, beside them, and behind them. Do you know why? Because the generations around them, they didn't know Jesus. It wasn't something that was passed down. This was new. They were living in a pre-Christian world. They were living in a, in a, among generations who didn't know Jesus, so they had to go every direction with Jesus. I believe, friends, that you and I are living right now in, I believe, the most pre-Christian era of our country. It's no longer as simple as, hey, the generation above us, hope, get your faith and box it up and hand it to me so I can get it, I can hand it down. The generations, they can't hand it down because they don't have it. And we can't hand it down because we don't have it. Look at the generation, look at the people around you, the people you know. You know, we told you this, some statistics for the first time in our country, more people don't go to church than do go to church. And going to church doesn't make you a Christian, right? We say this a lot, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a french fry, right? You, you, you know that, that the generations above you don't hold to the same beliefs that you and I have. We can't just be a people that passes uh, our faith backwards to the generation behind us. We're living in a pre-Christian era. We've got to be like New Testament church where we, we spread the name of Jesus in every direction to every generation because every generation needs Jesus. Listen, the next the next generation of Jesus may be the people coming behind you, but the next generation of Jesus followers may be the generation that came before you. Can you imagine that? Think about this for a second. If we could reach, if we could reach um, the boomers, the boomers are the wealthiest generation in the world. They are the wealthiest generation in our country. The boomers, if you're a boomer, your generation is going to pass on $68 trillion to the people you give it to. Believe it or not, that is more, uh, double what the previous generation handed down to y'all. And, and uh, if, if we could harness that, and then um, Generation X, oh my gosh, the, 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 the positions that, that Generation X holds, that the influence Generation X has in, in the, our country right now, if we could harness those things for the kingdom of God, can you imagine if we won those two generations that are the older generations? I, I just offended you. I'm so sorry, but that's who we are. 
If you know what a floppy is, you are old, right? So you, listen, if we're going to, if we're going to harness our generations and win them, they could be the most prolific, powerful, witnessing generations the world's ever seen because we have the resources to do things with. But then millennials, oh my gosh, millennials, y'all are amazing. Millennials, you have so much uh, technology. You're so creative. You're some of the most technologically advanced, creative people in the world. If we could leverage that for the kingdom of God, if we can reach the millennials, and you know that millennials are more concerned with humanitarian, changing lives, humanitarian issues than any other generation, if we could leverage that, how powerful the millennials could be in witnessing in this country for Jesus... And Gen Z, I don't know what to say about you. I don't understand you. <laughs> Actually, you are some of the most creative people as well. And, and you are such neat young people. You, you, you grew up not watching technology. You grew up in technology. You are more connected than any generation in the world. You can be by yourself and yet connected. Uh, let me, example. So I'm playing Apex Legends with Matthew the other night. Okay, so I'm playing Apex Legends with Matthew, and you know, and when you get killed in Apex Legends, you, you wait, you respawn in about 20 seconds, and you're with 60 other teams in a matter of seconds from all over the world, any given second. That connectivity is crazy, but can we, can we just use that? Can we harness that for the kingdom of God, for witnessing? Can you imagine? Every single generation brings something unique and valuable and wonderful when it comes to witnessing to the world around us about Jesus. But if we don't understand where every generation is, who they are, what they think, how they live their lives, how they view things, then we'll never win them to Jesus. That's what makes this so absolutely vitally important. Church, we've got to begin to understand who the next generation is. So welcome to Generation Next, where you are going to learn each generation who they are so that you can be better parents, better employers, better employees. You'll be better neighbors, better friends, and most of all, better witnesses because you understand how to communicate Jesus to every generation around you. We've got some really, really neat things coming up. Like next week, uh, this is for you, millennials and Gen Z. This is for you because we're going to talk about uh, Gen Xers and boomers next week specifically. And, and it's not so that we as Gen X and boomers can reach you, but it's so you can value and reach us because I know you look at us and think, you're so old and you're so slow on the uptake. <laughs> and it's true, right? We're, we're not going to... But we bring some things to the table that are valuable, that we hope you will value, and we want to teach you how to witness to your, your, your teachers, your coaches, your friends, your friends' parents, whoever it is. Um, so, so next week is that. And then, and then the next week, we're not going in order um, because of the way we're lining up some neat things. The next week, we're going to do um, uh, Gen Z, and that, that, that's like February 20th. And we're going to, we have someone lined up, I believe, we're going to be, um, I'm going to be interviewing on stage really teaching us about Gen Z and, and what he and his wife do to reach middle school and high school students in our communities right around us. And then February 27th, we're going to hit millennials. Um, this is who millennials are, and I've got a really, really cool guy and hopefully his wife too coming from out of town, and we're going to interview them because they do something called digital church. They, they do, their church is purely online, and they're reaching gamers all over the world. Like on Wednesday nights when they gather for worship online, someone in Germany, someone in London, they, it's amazing. But it's stuff that we need to understand. So that's what's coming up uh, in weeks ahead of us so that we can uh, teach you to value and reach in the name of Jesus every generation around you. That sound good? Yeah. All right, that's what we're going to be doing. Hey, let, before we get, uh, wrap up the message today, let me give you the weekly ask. 
Uh, if you're new, the weekly ask is something we give you every week to take home and do. We don't want you walking out of here just thinking about stuff. That doesn't accomplish much. I think about stuff every day and never get it done, right? So, but if you can get out and do something with what we talked about, then that will start you on this journey. So here's the weekly ask. There's only one thing for the majority of you. Number one, sit with at least one person from a different generation and listen to them. Listen, listen, listen to them so you begin to understand them. Ask them questions. Hey, I, I, I want to sit with someone who's like 85 or 90 and just ask, what, what were the best things, inventions you ever saw in your life? Because they saw so much, right? Things that we would never think of, they saw get invented. Um, or get with someone young and say, hey, what makes you tick? Why in the world do you do what you do? Sit and talk with them and listen. T- take them out to, to grab a a meal or a cup of coffee or something like if they're if they're boomers go to denny's <laughs> if the generation x go to ihop if they're millennials go to chipotle if they're gen z go to dairy queen i don't know go somewhere that meets where they would go and just sit and talk with them and listen to them. So that's, that's number one. But here's number two. And this is for parents. This is your uh, talking point. Every week we send parents home with a talking point uh, to talk with your kids because they're studying stuff downstairs and crew that you want to talk with them all week long. You're getting a, not just a talking point. You're getting a conversation guide today. There's a conversation guide coming um, that talks about how Paul was an influencer. The same Paul we talked about today. They're talking about downstairs. How he influenced everybody around him. Um, talk with your kids all week long uh, with that talking guide. Uh, conversation guide about who Paul was and what an influencer he was and you spend that time influencing your kids. Hey, let me pray for us and we'll go back into some worship. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. We, we value God every time we get to meet and when you, when you enter in and you take charge and you do what only you can do, God, we're amazed by you. And so it's only, it's only natural for us to, to wrestle with these things from your word and the practical practicality of them. But as we do so, to think, God, you're amazing. And we want to worship you some more. So, God, that's exactly what we're going to do today. And I pray, Jesus, that as, as we stand in a moment to worship you, that every voice will be lifted or every hand raised or every mind torn, turned towards you. God, whatever it takes for us to experience and express you, may we do so with reckless abandon today because you alone are worth it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.